Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collector's Corner. My name is P. You may know me online at, at Aston Cloud. I'm joined by my co-host, Jared, who you may know online as at Jared underscore pause. And we have two fantastic guests here. We have uh, Rick and Rich, and I'll let them uh, introduce themselves quickly in a second here. But we're talking about an amazing collection that dropped on FX Hash lately and diving deep into it called uh, Asakia. And, and I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I've been pronouncing it wrong forever. So uh, you, you guys correct me ASAP. Just a tiny bit of house cleaning before I throw it over to see how you all are doing. This is a video episode. Please check it out on video. We're going to show some beautiful art that these gentlemen worked really, really hard on. So check it out. And if you're not able to, that's okay. You can follow along on the podcast and we'll be releasing a tweet with some of this fantastic art as well. Also, uh, just uh, any disclaimers, uh, really, I own some of these pieces. I'm actually not sure if Jared does. So we'll mention that as we go through, but own pieces from this. And we'll have timestamps in the show notes, so you can jump to parts you like. And finally, I just want to say we've launched a newsletter. Check it out. People are really enjoying it. It'll help you keep up with Gen Art Weekly. Other than that, please subscribe, like, comment, and review. Okay, now that all that is out of the way, um, how's everybody doing? Maybe we'll go quickly to Jared and then Rich and Rick. How are you all doing today? I'm doing amazing. Uh, as indicated earlier, I'm triple fisting here. I got water, tea, and coffee. So... It's one of those days, but I'm super, super excited for uh, this project. And and officially, what is the pronunciation? Because I know for for a fact, I butcher it by saying, I'm not even going to go there, but uh, what is the official pronunciation? So uh, it's a Spanish word, it's asequia. And uh, it's as, it's written in the description of the project, actually. It's, a, it's derived from the Arabic word, which means water carrier. Asekia. Brilliant. That we will never mispronounce it again. We just got to keep saying Asekia, Asekia. Uh, amazing. Thank you, Rick. And, and how are you doing today? Me, yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's lovely to be here, and I'm um, just excited to talk about the project. Um, it was a big project. We spent a lot of time on it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, launched a while ago. So I had to kind of fresh my memory and uh, get back into it. Well, we, we appreciate you taking the time, and I think the listeners will really enjoy it, getting to know this collection even more than they already do. It's, it's obviously been very popular, so uh, maybe we'll have some Easter eggs for folks as well. Rich, how are you doing? Hey, really good. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, quite nice for, for once being in New Zealand. I think I've got the better end of this deal. It's it's only just coming up half 10 in the morning here. So <laughs> uh, as you can see, uh, Rick's, Rick's got the other end of that, so it's getting uh, already quite late for him. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to diving back into the collection. Actually, it's been uh, what coming up three months now uh, since it actually um, was released. So it was, yeah, it was a heck of a blur up to it, and then quite a blur afterwards, actually. So um, it's been quite nice, kind of revisiting it in a slightly more leisurely pace over the last few days, uh, picking things out to discuss today. Yeah, it was fun to watch your journey on twitter just uh talking about how the project came together the the integration and collaboration um 
that each of you had and just the the I remember watching almost with a little bit of anxiety uh the days coming up to the release uh with just pulling all the details together it was so much fun and both of your transparency in the process was was fun so I think it was part of the journey for this release that uh, obviously the outputs were amazing but that that level of transparency was fun yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's so many things to consider when you're doing a project, not just the, you know, the art and the code and all of that, but also the strategy for, you know, letting people know about it and how much you give away and how much you hold back. And um, so we kind of teased it for quite, we worked on the project for a long time. We teased it very slowly over that period and then kind of ramped it up near the end because, uh, you know, there's, there's something about getting that right too, you know. Yeah, I think that's really true. That, I yeah, and I, I think particularly because it had run on for kind of quite quite so long, I think there's almost a sense of we we both were like, wow, this is actually happening. We're we're finally releasing this, this project that we've been working on for four or five months, and then we spent uh, so much time agonising on kind of like you know how many do we do? And FX Hash was quite quiet at the time, so we're like oh, we don't want to do too many because we want them each to feel special. Uh, and so yeah, it was it was quite strange, and I think being a collab. I think anytime you release a project, there's always nerves, but I think when it's a collaboration, it's always worse because if you do your own project and it bombs, you go, okay, you, you trashed your own reputation. But if it bombs as a collab, you're like, oh no, I've taken someone else down with me as well. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and I think particularly for Rick, because we, we'd done kind of a, a previous project, but otherwise he hadn't really done much kind of generative projects. So I was very aware of kind of not wanting to be responsible for him going, I'm never doing this stuff again. You know, it's, it's awful. <laughs> I wanted him to have such a positive experience from it as well. Oh, come on. Miniscapes was an amazing output. I, and you guys work very brilliantly together. I, that, that's part of the, the reason why this one was so uh, exciting for me personally is because it, uh, to me was just a, a logical progression of both of your guys's talent. It, it was very cool to see, the the progress and and i don't know everything behind the scenes but i can tell you at least externally speaking it appeared as though there was a, a great collaboration and you both approached it with a, a tremendous amount of passion absolutely yeah it's been really great meeting rich and um we have worked really well together he's so easygoing and we have the kind of same sense of humor so that really helps you know uh when when there's lots of decisions to be made and yeah, agonizing over the small things is good to you know be able to get on and have a laugh as well yeah so i mean part of the reason this is so exciting for us is we haven't spoken yet with artists who did a collab how did that start like how did you all meet uh how did you decide to do miniscapes and uh you know then decide to to do another one uh like yeah what was the genesis um well i was from my perspective it's quite interesting how we met actually because um, I'd released like a static piece of work and um, somebody had kind of copied it and it, well, it, they released an FX hash project off the back of a piece of work I did and I felt like it was it was more than inspired, it was kind of plagiarized. So I went into FX hash Discord to kind of moan about it and get some support and I wasn't getting very far to be honest and I was feeling like banging my head against the wall and then Rich kind of swooped in and said, hey, hang on a minute, no, this, this doesn't seem right. And uh, and we talked a little bit about it. It was great to get some support. And because um, you know plagiarizing is it's quite an issue in the in the space, you know, and it's quite a challenge to kind of get anything any action on it. Um, but Rich came along, and then we struck up a conversation. And after that, he said, you know, I've seen your work. You know, do you want to do a collaboration? I was like, yeah. I didn't even know Rich before, and uh, it was just perfect. Really, it just happened. 
So yeah, I think it's one of those yeah, really fortunate kind of coincidences actually. And then uh, uh, yeah, Miniscapes was born not long after that. It's only a couple of three weeks. I think I, yeah. just basically said to it, hey, if you're a fancy doing something, you know, love your work. You know, it, I would encourage anyone to kind of go and dive back into kind of you know all of like the design and illustrative work that Rick's done before. Um, pick yourself up t-shirts. He's got some kick-ass t-shirts as well. Um, and I just loved yeah, loved that work. I said, hey, I think doing a generative kind of take on something that you know lives in your your head would be um, absolutely you know, incredible and. I think the appeal for me is particular effects hash does a lot of abstract work. Um, and and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well, but you know, there's, there's so much of it and there's not as much um, sort of representational sort of playful kind of charming. And I just thought looking at Rick's work, I said, actually, this hasn't really been done. It hasn't been done well. Um, and so the idea of yeah, being able to explore that um, was just fascinating. And as, as Rick said, we, we just hit it off. I, I think there's probably a while during the development of Secure, we spoke to each other more than we spoke to our wives. It kind of felt like we were chatting basically every day. And, you know, Rick was busy doing like bathroom renovations and kitchen work. So we were chatting about that and then <laughs> remembering that, hold on, we're meant to be deciding what palettes we like. And uh, so it's, uh, yeah, but by the time we left, it kind of felt like, yeah, kind of almost like we'd gone from like a, I don't know, we then set up like a long distance relationship. <laughs> we kind of didn't catch up as much. <laughs> um, yeah, quite, quite strange. Yeah. I mean, it, in any time you integrate more than one party, it's always tough to to find that that perfect chemistry. Like, what do you guys feel was the the baseline to to your chemistry? And to give a little bit of you know background for like P and I, we literally would just spend hours talking about uh, drops before they happen. We'd be going through test outputs. You know, it's it just there's so much commonality and and passion. It just it was like a, a friendship that had some natural tendencies for you guys. Like, how did you, you know, after Rich stuck up for you, Rick, in the, I'll call it the FX hash discord, like, how did you know, I'm just curious more than anything, like, how did you know then that it was, uh, it was meant to be a collaboration? Um, well, I looked at his work, obviously, after talking to him, and I thought he was doing something quite different and interesting, and there's a high level of quality there. And so I think that really came through, you know, working with people can be a challenge. Um, and, you know, especially if you've got different ideas or different um, level and standards, you know, and we're both very meticulous. So it just worked really well, you know, that we're both like attention to detail. And so that, that worked well together. Um, but yeah, we soon after having a discussion on discord, we, uh, we just had, we just chatted on, uh, live discord and it just you know he just he's a nice guy he's really friendly and it just felt like you know he's your friend straight away so um you know the chemistry is good from the start and um you know he's, he's very humble as well which is which is great yeah i think we're just super lucky i think, I think rick touched on we both have mild to moderate to severe kind of ocd issues so that probably that that helped i think if you've got someone who's just kind of super keen to go hey let's get it out let's get it out people are buying and then you've got someone else who's like, no, 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 no. There's no, there's one pixel out of place. Uh, and instead, it was, it was pretty common. I actually went back through some of our Twitter chats, and there's literally like us bouncing back and forth, like you know, kind of like a zoomed-in image uh, of an output with like you know, what, literally one or two pixels at a corner of one of the cubes, like hanging off slightly. Um, and we did the same through kind of miniscapes. We were kind of like, oh no, the, the kind of speed of the waves is just fractionally out. We need to kind of you know, just change it a bit. Um, so I think the fact that we both had that mindset kind of really, really helped. And I think if you look at kind of Rick's 
kind of previous work, you can kind of see that everything's perfect. And that was probably the biggest challenge in Miniscape actually, was trying to kind of slowly kind of bring Rick around a little bit to kind of go, we can't put everything exactly, exactly where it needs to be because otherwise it's not a generative project. So if you're used to doing kind of one of one kind of designs, that that can be a challenge. But I, I think that was something that we actually, you know, across both the projects have kind of nailed really well. I think they actually kind of individually all feel they could be one of ones. That was a real challenge for me, actually, from being very kind of static and not not working with code generative, like the stepping across to like allow freedom in what's created. And it's been really, it's been quite refreshing for me, but, you know, allowing more and more freedom rather than meticulously controlling every aspect. Um, and I've, I've quite enjoyed it, but it did take a little while to adjust. That's awesome. I I really appreciate you guys shedding light on on the partnership and just some of the interworkings and dynamics. I think it's important, especially as we grow in Web3 to find that uh, that complement uh, to everybody and, and their skill set, which is a, a great segue into, you know, Rich, I am amazed at how many discords and, and, and projects you've been able to amass in such a short amount of time. It seems like anytime I... I, I mentioned you in, in GM, you're there, or Grailers, you're there, or FX Hash, you're there. It's, it's it's pretty impressive. Do you mind shedding a little bit of light, and then we'll touch on Rick's journey, but you're on how you got to Web three, and maybe um, a highlight or two uh, of your journey. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I I kind of stumbled my way in by accident, which I think is probably common to a lot of people. So. Um, Prior to kind of doing digital generative art, I was actually uh, making kind of generative plotter art um, and just selling that uh, largely kind of locally at sort of galleries and shows. Um, and I was actually following uh, a couple of people, actually Dan, Dan Cat and Greeweb, um, who are both like, plotter geniuses, like crazy, crazy good at that stuff. Um, and Greeweb had actually done a project on ETH block art. Um, so, uh, for anybody who doesn't know that, it's uh, it's kind of similar kind of like QQL model, but kind of predates it. So the idea being that you, know, you kind of create a project and then people can actually kind of customize and tune you know, anything from sliders to colors uh, and actually then kind of you know, mint their own output. And so I stumbled into that just by complete fluke, to be honest, just off the back of kind of like, you know, seeing Greenweb's work. Um, and yeah, after doing a project uh, there, um, then released uh, Toha on gender art, which is probably the sort of breakout projects as much as kind of things kind of can be in this space. Um, and then since then, yeah, I've done some more uh, work through them, some more through GM, and then yeah, quite a lot of work through FX Hash, um, which is probably where I've concentrated most recently. Um, I just enjoy the vibe on FX Hash, I think, just that kind of freedom, um, just to kind of go, hey, I want to do something, it's ready, cool. It can be released tomorrow. Um, I think the ability to kind of explore kind of you know, unusual things, things that might not necessarily get picked up by you know, the bigger kind of platforms is is really liberating. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I tried to be across lots of things. I was involved in GMDAO really early. Um, so from sort of like day one, so I'd actually met Cypher who heads up that DAO um, over in East Block Art. So that's how we got talking and then uh, donate some artwork for the tokens. Um, and then yeah, cross Grailers, Tender, um, so yeah, as I mentioned when we were talking kind of a bit earlier offline, I, I do need to try and kind of get that balance slightly better. I probably spend too much time kind of across all of those things, chatting to people and not not quite enough time actually working on art and collaborations. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
watch this space to see if I achieve that goal. Yeah, and, and Rick, how did you find your way into Web3? Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's kind of weird when you're not in it. It's like some underworld that you just don't know about. And then you step your toes in and suddenly, boom, your whole life is completely changed. Um, and that's kind of how it was for me. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of T-shirt design. I have stores online where I sell art prints and stuff like that. And um, I won some competitions and I won... Uh, quite a big competition with Threadless. And uh, so I, I put a little bit into crypto. And so that sort of started getting me into this world. And then it kind of, and then I just thought, oh, what's this NFT business all about? And um, and the first port called for me was um, Hick at Nunk, um, Hen. And when I first looked at the site, I was just like, what is this? I do not get it. Um, but I was just really excited to explore something new. I'd had, I really enjoy community and I used to be quite immersed in the t-shirt competition community. And as social media came about, that kind of dissipated a bit and more people were talking online. Um, so that's been amazing for me. I was just excited to jump into a new community and the Tezos community is fantastic. It's just so supportive, so creative. Um, and I was just, yeah, I never looked back from there really. And I just started minting straight away on, on hen. I uh, dipped a little bit into ETH, but yeah, no, that's amazing, and I'm I'm glad you found it. And you know, we normally think of this as being a lot of generative artists on on Hen and kind of the FX Hash community. And I'm curious when you're not doing generative art now that you are. It sounds like almost uh, full time, at least artistically focused on Web three. What kind of stuff are you making, and and where are you putting it out? Oh, what well, from an NFT perspective, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty immersed in Tezos. So I, I do my own sort of static pieces. I sometimes collaborate with animators, um, Lewis Osborne. I've done a lot of work with him. Uh, he's amazing animators. Check him out. And, uh, yeah, I, I've just got, um, I've started my first collection on object as well. Uh, so just been building on that really. I've done some drops on OpenSea and Foundation as well. So awesome, awesome. We'll, we'll but, link but, to all that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, but my first experience of generative art is with Rich, and it's it's been it's been amazing. It's really exciting. You were you were talking about communities a lot, and actually, I have a question for you on this, Rich, because you are one of the generative artists that we've noticed that you know you have a drop on. Gen.art, you got a drop with GM Dow, and you have drops on the FX hash. Uh, you know, we've, I really like that you've gone and done releases with these different communities. And I'm curious to hear maybe your, your take, maybe perhaps for artists who have stuff maybe just to like art blocks or FX hash, you know, what, what would you uh, say to encourage them to try drops in different communities? Um, or may, maybe you wouldn't, but I'm curious if you could speak to that. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Um, <laughs> um, I think for me, I the reason actually with Gendal Art that I kind of went there um, initially is that I love um, you know, how they did and how they still actually do kind of do um, fewer releases. I think they do a fantastic job around actually kind of telling the story of the art, story of the artist. They do you know, video interviews, um, everything around the site was really well put together. And um, that really appealed to me you know kind of actually having a, a good run-up of time before a project the project itself and then some time afterwards to kind of actually you know absorb it and discuss it um 
GM Studio do a, a really kind of similar thing. So, you know, kind of staggering drops every four to six weeks. Um, at the same time, Artblocks is Artblocks, you know, in terms of kind of like, you know, the, the brand um, that's kind of out there. I, I think you'd find very few people who would kind of disagree that it is, you know, the leader. And you know, if you want you know, to kind of get that kind of, you know, that gold kind of cup of kind of like, you know, art kudos, then getting a, you know, an AB curated drop is, is, is kind of where it's at. Um, for me, uh, it's probably something, you know, hindsight, you might go back and make different choices. I think I kept thinking, right, I don't want to submit anything to Artbox until I've kind of got what is going to be my kind of best ever project I think I'd ever do. So I kept kind of putting that off. Um, and a few people have said, oh, you should have just kind of, you know, just submit something and kind of get, you know, get it in there. They might tell you it's rubbish or they might, they might decide they like it. Um, I enjoy the different mix of communities. I think um, FX hash, I think, as kind of Rick mentioned, I think is probably the the kind of the freest way you kind of feel that anything kind of goes in some respects. I think that open nature tends to kind of bring more experimentation. And so I really love that. Equally, I think what Tender has done on top of FX hash has been kind of really valuable because the downside of an open platform is anybody can release anything at any point, and so they do. So if you're coming in and you're quite time constrained, it can be really hard to kind of go, right, cool, what's the stuff I should actually look at? Where are the kind of, you know, the, the interesting kind of projects? So I think that's the downside and tend to kind of, you know, just trying to kind of solve that. Um, but yeah, I, I really encourage people just to kind of you know, move around, find, you know, find your tribe or multiple tribes. Um, I really love the, I think the vibe in tender discord is great. I think the vibe in Graylers is great. The, the vibe in GM. And actually there's quite a difference. Some people are more focused on the, speculation other people are more about the kind of the long-term wanting to kind of accrue you know grails um and other people are just here because they're artists and it's a great way to kind of chat and connect with people so um yeah i i, I really enjoy that part and i think particularly if you're working on art the whole time it can be quite a lonely existence you know it's you a keyboard and a screen so actually being involved in these communities is a good way to um you know still get a bit of that kind of you know social kind of engagement and interaction yeah, that's fantastic. I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that it's easy to uh, kind of get get stuck in one group. And I imagine having that cross-pollination helps in a lot of ways, you know, finding collaborators, uh, finding friends, and also building a, a broader co collector base, which I, I think is important. And I, I just wanted to ask you, perhaps Rich, you could go first, and then Rick, uh, for artists out there who are thinking about doing collaborations, what advice would you have for them now that you all have uh, done two projects successfully together? How would you recommend they think about it? I think the key part, I, I think Rick mentioned it, find somebody you get on with. So ignoring the kind of the art and the kind of who brings what skills, it's find someone who you can get on with because you're, you're always going to have times where you have to make kind of difficult choices or you have a difference of opinion. And if you fundamentally like each other, that's much easier than kind of coming at it from a right. We're trying to find the best outcome. We're not trying to have an argument. Um, and those can be kind of, you know, quite kind of different mindsets. If you're coming in going, I'm right. And what I want to do is to prove to you I'm right. That's very different to coming in going, I think I'm right. But what I really want is the best outcome for the project. And I think that was something that we tapped into kind of really early on. I think it, we we're probably quite fortunate that because Rick had, was coming in, you know, predominantly doing design, I was coming in doing code. Um, I think if you have two people who are both trying to do the code, that would be a trickier kind of balance. Um, so I think we're maybe quite fortunate kind of there um, that we weren't trying to kind of you know, try and do sort of pair programming uh, and that kind of stuff. But I think yeah, fundamentally 
somebody you get on with, and I think someone is Rick Ritter, someone who's got the same kind of you know level of kind of quality that they're kind of striving for. So if you're both just trying to go, hey, we just want to get cool stuff out as quick as possible, that's cool. You know, no worries. As long as you're both on the same page there, then you're going to have a good time. Real quick, before we transition into the project, I just have to say, Rick, your People of Tezos uh, piece is extremely on brand with today's <laughs> image. You got the beanie, the yeah. goatee. I was looking at it while scrolling through your work, and I'm just like, man, this thing is spot on for anybody who hasn't had the the pleasure of checking it out. Go check it out, man. It is uh, super on brand. Yeah, you don't catch me very often without my beanie on, to be honest. <laughs> Thanks. You know what? We, we can even show that. And as I'm showing that, just uh, anything you want to add to what Rich said in terms of collaborations, uh, Rick? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Rich has pretty much covered it. You know, for me, it's like sense of humor, you know, different cultures, different people, they have different levels of humor. I'm in quite a lot of Twitter groups, and there's just one group that I'm chatting every day because we just have such a laugh and uh it's really important you know this this space is is quite demanding and quite exhausting at times you know always trying to sort of stay on top of the wave and uh you've got to have a sense of humor got to have a laugh so and and like rich said we were very fortunate that we had two very separate skill sets that, that come together perfectly so fantastic fantastic well i really appreciate you sharing that uh, because I think it'll be important for other artists as they see the success you've had, both as a collaboration, but also the, the art you've produced. And with that, we should go ahead and transition over into Asakia. Asakia. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep trying. Uh, Asakia. Oh, my God. Asakia. I, I literally need to look at it to, to say it. This is something we... Sorry, I was just going to say this is something me and Rich debated about quite a lot because the name, you know, it's like all these decisions you have to make. The name was like, are you sure? People are just going to pronounce it wrong. <laughs> but hey, it was very, very relevant to the uh, to the subject. Yeah, we did try. The, the pronunciation is actually in the project description, but that probably gives you a hint that nobody reads them. So, you know, <laughs> we put it as the very first thing, and we joked, it's like, people are still going to butcher this. <laughs> They're still not gonna it's funny, I, in anticipation of the podcast, I literally pronounced it like or tried probably two dozen times. But since P and I are both uh, engineers at heart, and I, it's, a, it's kind of like a running joke, at least internally about the podcast, just phonetically, uh, I feel like I have a third grader comprehension. So even though you guys did everything to try to help us out, we still reserve the right to butcher it. Yeah, we've heard some funny ones. A sequa, uh, a sequa yeah, so lots. Yeah, uh, yeah, a sequia is. Yeah, we we tried, we tried. We it, it suited the project so perfectly. We were kind of like, no, we'll have to, we'll go with it regardless, uh, and just brave the pronunciation. <laughs> and I, I love it. Like I I love the aqueducts, right? I love the Arabic. I even love the fact that you know it's a Spanish word, but there's Arabic influence, and it goes like way back. There's actually a lot of Arabic influence words in Spanish. So I, I love all of it. You know what it is though? It's like, we love this collection. We've been talking about it for months and we've been pronouncing it wrong for months. So I've pronounced it incorrectly like 500 times and only now learning how to pronounce it correctly. So it's, it's our fault. Uh, but wanted to just give a, a little bit of a, a quick background on the project for folks. And so uh, this was launched on November 1st, 2022, for people who may not be aware of it. It was launched on FX Hash, 
It was a uh, 343-piece collection, Dutch auction, started at 216, got down to 64 Ether. Uh, but it really struck a nerve with uh, the community and the crowd. I mean, very quickly, I remember people were talking about it in Grailer's Discord and other places. And, I mean, if you scroll through here, I just... Like, so, so Jared and I have a framework for collections that we want to dive deeply into. And I'll just run through this really quickly. Uh, it's uh, aesthetics. And then I'll, I'll give Jared a chance to talk about what he likes about this collection. But the first one is the aesthetics. And I just really, really love the, in my mind, it was kind of the juxtaposition of these really clean, beautiful designs, which makes a lot of sense to your background, Rich, uh, or sorry, Rick, excuse me. Um, but also mixed with physics. So when you, you know, for folks who are, are watching and if you're only listening, definitely take a look on FX hash. So this is number 19 here and you see the water coming down and it, you know, really abides by physical rules and that animation is so cool. And there's something just kind of precise and almost engineering like about it, but also still so aesthetically pleasing. And that juxtaposition just really tickles my brain. And it's part of the reasons why I love this project and was happy to collect it. So number one, aesthetic. So love that part of it. Um, secondly, the artists. I mean, Rich, we've been following your work for a long time. And uh, Rick, we're familiar with Miniscapes, which is, again, just really clean, really well done. So we love you as artists. Um, holders. I mean, we have some of the top holders here who are, have this collection. I mean, Lemon 2D, DeFi Staker, who's, who's a friend, and uh, Toth. I mean... A lot of people that we really respect who are looking on the FX hash side, and I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Von Mises has one. Jared, you, you may know about that. Rich Poole, uh, just kidding. Uh, we, we know you're the artist. But also, you know, Rich, I got to tell you, you're a fantastic collector. So when I see you holding something, it's it's something I take note of, you know, a project that's that's not yours. Uh, so that, that certainly factors into it. Um, and then the, the sentiment. I mean, people were... Like, this is one of those collections, I don't, I don't know if you guys are aware, but some people are like, oh, yeah, I got into gen art because of the Sekia, right? Like, literally, it, it brought people into gen art because of the way it just just hit. Um, and then we look at collection breadth, right? When we're talking about generative art, it's it's the algorithm we consider to be the art, not necessarily all, uh, sorry, the individual outputs. And, I mean, as I'm scrolling through here, there's just really cool variety that we'll dive into and then um, we talk about historic significance. You know, was there something uh, that was unique about this collection that could be copied? It's too early to say, only being about three months out. But I really think that there's there's something here with these animations and then like following physical rules that I just love. I don't know. And uh, perhaps I'm like an engineering nerd. You know, I, I like the idea of like creating these water pathways, whatever. Um, and then the last thing is is price action. So I'll I'll hold on that one and give Jared a chance to go before we look at some of those charts. But yeah, Jared, anything you want to say about the the collection as a whole? Similar sentiment. I've been a, a collector of rich from basically my beginning journeys of FX hash. Um, I've I've really enjoyed uh, everything. Huge fan of it, but. You know this one, uh, it, it would just it struck me right from the beginning for everything that that P talked about. It was just uh, absolutely enticing. It was engaging, um, and there's a, a buzz about it. And um, the the variety was, I'll call it vast enough to to and the palettes were were varied enough to to really engage 
the collector. Um, so and then from a price action standpoint, it, I mean, I, I feel like it's like a, a, a crypto meme. It, it's up only, right? I mean, this thing has just been like an absolute rocket right out the gate and, and it's been holding steady. So kudos to, to both of you for creating quite a, what I would go out on a limb to say for a, a timeless piece. This is, this is honestly very beautiful. And the more you look at it, the more it's just captivating. Yes, uh, 100% well said. And here's the floor price chart, as you can, as, as Jared said, you know, rocketed it up. This was in the middle of a, a horrendous bear market. Let's keep that in mind. And the median price here shows you quite a bit. So even though the floor has dipped a little bit in recent times here, the median listing has not. So what that tells you is there's a few people who maybe are looking for liquidity, but on the whole, people are holding. And if you look at number of items listed, it's been uh, pretty, pretty flat there for some time. So just some of the stats that we like to share with the listeners. And uh, before we kind of go through all the traits, love to hear uh, maybe uh, Rick and then, and then Rich or whatever order you guys would like to go in, just a little bit about the, the history of the collection. So, you know, you guys decided, all right, we're going to do another collaboration. What, how did you come up with this concept and uh, how did you, you know, eventually end up with this output? Um, yeah, so after Miniscapes, we, we'd had such a good fun time and it was well received and we just quite quickly said, let's, you know, let's do another collaboration. And um, uh, it's kind of started, well, I, I'd not really done much isometric drawing, but I did a isometric illustration and it's going to be originally be a collaboration with someone else. Um, and that not, never came through. And um, and I showed it to Rich and I said, you know, what, what do you think about this? For Could you do something like this with generative art? And he's like, yeah, yeah, maybe. And uh, it kind of just snowballed from there. And we were quite organic in the way that it evolved. We didn't really have, we had that image as a guide, but it kind of evolved. We had lots of ideas along the way, things we got rid of, things we kept, you know, so... Um, yeah, we just wanted something that was distinctive in its own right, stood apart from mini skates, but it still, you know, had some sort of brand consistency throughout. Um, and, and I think sort of quirky, charming. Um, yeah, it just it really just came together, actually. And, and the amazing thing about it is, is over the course of uh, five months, I, I felt quite confident about the project because I never really got tired of it. I mean, there was many, many days where we were looking at static, static outputs, testing, testing, testing. And then I'd go back and watch an animated one and I'd be like, wow, that looks really cool. Um, you know, so I never really got tired. So I felt, but uh, when it came to actually launch, uh, it was, the response was completely unexpected. This is a kind of a, a personal fascination I have, but with every artist, I love asking the question, how many test outputs do you think you went through during the, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you guys are borderline OCD, which I, I have a, a great respect for. So I'm curious on a, a scale of one to extreme, uh, where do you fall on the, how many test outputs you think you viewed? Um, it's, I would be surprised if we cleared 100,000 by the time we were done, because um, we had a lot of times so we'd run like no. I would try and be kind to Rick. So I would try and kind of like quite often kind of go out and done a batch of like a few hundred. Um, but quite often I'd have kind of gone through thousands because 
the as Rick said, the whole kind of project evolved really organically. He sent me the the kind of the initial kind of one he'd done before, and I was like, okay, that's really pretty cool. And actually, similar to um, yourself at PJ, I, I come from an engineering background, and I think what struck me with this is it's got the charm that Miniscope had, but it's got this really appealing kind of just geometric um, kind of like influence over it. And I was like, I could see people just like having this on their wall as a piece of art. Um, in any room and just people being drawn to it because it's so fascinating. And actually, when we first started, we did the water actually wasn't there day one. So the water was something that um, I, I'm glad I suggest because I suggested that you do this animated water. And at the time, I had no idea how much time it would take. So it's uh, the whole kind of development process, probably 70, 80% was going, okay, right, cool. How is this water actually going to fill up cool in the real world? Then how would that translate to an isometric world right then how do i convert that into code and even silly stuff like when it drops over an edge you have to kind of do this little kind of like highlight because if you don't have that in the whole thing is super flat but then sometimes as they one of the cubes fills up that highlight disappears because once the water is now flowing flat not going down and across so there's there's all this stuff and then when you put the highlight in it overdrew so you have to draw back over the cubes to kind of not have these edges so there's there's a real kind of journey all the way through uh, as Rick mentioned, so many things that we we tried and threw out, you know, probably over a hundred pallets that at some point were in and then got ditched. But we had, you know, crazy ideas from like doing skylines, doing islands, um, all these things that we we tried and ultimately just didn't feel like they sat within the collection. It kind of felt that we'd be putting them in for the sake of having a rare thing, not because it actually added to it overall. And I think that's that's really the part of the collection I'm most proud of. I feel it's kind of holds together as just a wonderful kind of cohesive collection that we got the supply versus the kind of variety spot on so that each piece individually still feels special and you're kind of happy to own it and i think that was that was something that we agonized over a lot <laughs> in terms of what uh, what to do in terms of supply thank you for sharing I, I we always try to tease out some of these uh these hidden or inherently you know i'll call it deep feelings from from your guys's journey so thank you for sharing that that was that was actually really really cool to hear i have one last question before we transition into trades rick i'm looking at your mental blocks zero five on object did this uh did this front run the project or was this a, a result of the outputs i'm just curious you don't have to answer if you don't want to but yeah no the similarities um straight after a kind of cool down from the complete hype of the uh, Sekia being launched. Um, I thought, right, what am I going to do next now? Um, so I started my own collection and I just created um, that particular one is a tribute to the project. I just thought it might be fun to, you know, hark back to it, you know, and um, that project's kind of those the blocks, they just, I start, I kind of start with a blank page and I just let it evolve and I just draw and I see what happens. And sometimes I might have an idea of a theme in mind. Um, but yeah, I just thought oh, it'd be cool to do one that is kind of like a Sekia. So uh, that's yeah, what the, we'll let the listenership vote on uh, which of the mental blocks should be the baseline for your guys's next collab. How about that? That would, that would be the, the listenership poll. And I say that because I'm always fascinated with you know, maybe somebody who uh, doesn't have the means to to jump into this project because it, it does have a high floor relative in Tez. I mean, Mental Blocks zero five is you know there's an uh, an offer to sell at five hundred Tez. You know, so it presents a really good way to to get exposure and especially 
you know, part of what we try to do is bring light to everybody's projects. I, I especially like Matt Delorier has some stuff hidden on Tez that were almost like precursors to to subscapes and Meridian. So, you know, I'm always curious to see which one is first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, no, that that's a fantastic point. And I just started to interject here, but I love this one, Rick. Like when I was a little kid, I used to play snakes and ladders. And this is just like, it, it's amazing how you can bring up those feelings with some of this art. And to, to Jared's point about your prior art and, and, and building upon different techniques. Like was, was there, you know, Rich, you mentioned the isometric shapes within Asekia. Were there specific techniques that you all had worked on together that you were saying, hey, let's push it? Like, was it the isometrics to say, okay, we, we did this with miniscapes and for folks who haven't seen it, like here, here's miniscapes on the screen. Um, but, well, I guess it was, it was somewhat, some isometrics for sure here, um, but, yeah, how did you think about the next iteration? You know, were you trying to evolve on this aesthetic or were you just trying to do something different? I think what we're aiming for, I think what Miniscapes has is just bundles of charm. You know, it is just like overflowing with kind of charm and and what I think Rick set out to kind of do, you know, he was how much can you convey with as little as possible? And I think you know, Miniscapes absolutely kind of does that. I think with Second, what's uh, I remember kind of having, I think chat with Rick kind of quite early said it'd be great if we could have something that kind of pulled most of the charm of miniscapes, but then also kind of pulled in a kind of like you know, a, um, sort of a more kind of serious quote unquote kind of sort of you know, kind of art as well. So, um, for people who kind of go, oh, I don't like you know, charming art, be a bit kind of whimsical, it's not their cup of tea, it's like cool, let's see if we can kind of actually kind of bring those together. So, you have art that really kind of elicits emotion that you really enjoy, but you can also kind of aesthetically appreciate as someone who might come from an engineering background or all kind of sort of technical background as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I think we, we set out and achieved that really well. Doing the whole isometric thing, that was that was a new thing for me. So um, I actually did, there's a, an FX hash or FX text article about Secular that I wrote in, I want to say December, like in November, December. Um, that actually dives into kind of some of the um, sort of the inner workings, I suppose, including talking a bit about how that water plumbing system works because the water doesn't actually flow through the piece. Each kind of cube has its own kind of state in terms of kind of being aware of you know how much water it has, but actually it doesn't have any awareness of what the kind of the cube prior to it did. So um, this kind of dives in a bit to, you know, um, from early kind of you know, how does an isometric kind of you know, cube get formed what's the kind of mass behind it um, through to kind of some of the stuff that we had to tackle um, along the way I, I, I'm sorry I, I love this stuff uh, did you did you have to pick up any math did you have to crack open some of the, the math textbooks no, I, so I, I pretty unsurprisingly uh, I was a complete nerd at school so I, I kind of I won the math prize like 10 years in a row but i had you know within generative art you don't actually do maths as often as maybe some people think most of it is actually kind of you know, working on the ideas and then actually kind of tuning the heck out of um things whereas with this there was a vast vast amount of kind of vector math that had to be done for um all of the water pathing so i, I did you know fairly regularly said to rick in the, in the midst of like the the low part for me where I was just kind of each day was just like cool, right create some more water paths um, that I would be glad never to have to see a you know, vector notation again um, 
And so it, it did help like quite often there's a few parts where I kind of I'd done a load of the code one way and then I was like, oh, I'm writing out the same stuff each time. So I actually uh, converted everything to like a kind of almost like a compass based system. So I thought of each of the hexes as having like a north, northeast, northwest. So that that was a pretty extensive rewrite, but then made it much easier in my head because otherwise I was trying to kind of keep track of you know, four or five different sets of numbers and you know weird ratios everywhere. So uh, again, part of this uh, article does kind of talk a bit around that and you know, how that kind of helped uh, and also dives into kind of yeah, how stuff like the water parking kind of works and that type of stuff as well. So um, yeah, if anyone's in, you know, do have a read, it's, I, I think it's relatively interesting um, to kind of understand a bit more as to kind of how we uh, have to solve some of those problems um, along the way. I mean, this is amazing. I, I really appreciate you writing this and we'll link to this in the show notes. It's just really cool, I think, for the audience to see what went into it and show off, you know, show off some of those math skills, right? Like, you, you might have gotten, uh, you, you might not have been popular for it uh, growing up, but, yeah. but certainly it wasn't. Now. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't one of those kind of like, hey, I wish I was in um, situations. But uh, I, I loved talking about projects and sharing it because I think for a lot of people. I've always kind of said rightly or not that I think the hardest part with engineering art is actually the initial idea. You know, it's actually having something that's genuinely kind of interesting that you can kind of dive into and make a long form collection out of. If you've got a really solid idea, you know, the coding sometimes is like, you know, if you hit your head against a wall long enough, you will eventually kind of get there and be able to release that project. But if you have a bad idea, it's you're going to struggle to make anything good out of it. So I think sharing stuff like this so that people can kind of see how it works maybe demystifies it a bit and so you know to kind of go look, if you've got a really cool idea don't be scared of actually you know, having a crack at it or finding someone else you know most general artists we're really pretty friendly people so you know reach out get in touch with people and say here's my idea you know, can you help can you point me somewhere um we tend to you know be pretty forthcoming well if you get tired of hexagons my vote is for uh mental blocks zero nine the cityscape <laughs> version i'm a civil engineer by schooling so that's uh that's my next vote uh, yeah we, we've batched a couple of things um but yeah no spoilers at the moment <laughs> yeah for sure uh all right well let, let's let's dive into like i said asakia i'm gonna keep saying it properly until <laughs> it, it is in my mind Let, let's let's talk about some of the different categories here so for folks who are only listening we're now in fx hash you go to the project page, scroll down, there's a little filter button here, and it shows the, the different features. And maybe we can just go ahead and, and start with alignment, and I'll let you talk through it and uh, sort of so share what you are saying on the screen, and, and you tell me if you want me to click on something different. Yeah, so um, initially when we were developing the project, um, we had kind of we had no parameters at all. And so all the cubes, that we, the designs that we came up with, they just kind of dropped in wherever they wanted. It was kind of random. And we worked with that for a long, long time. So literally the, the outputs could be any mixture of cubes, any number of, um, you know, water paths, whatever. And, and we slowly sort of honed that down. And then we started creating kind of almost grouping and this is where, I mean, Rich lost his mind many times trying to get the vector maths right with the water, but we also kind of lost our minds a bit sometimes creating these, trying to group to create different aesthetics. So, 
And one of the more obvious ways to tell is with the alignment. So um, some of them, uh, you'll see they're all facing one way. Some are kind of valleying in together or on a ridge. Um, and and it, it created, when we first, when Rich first put it to me, I was like, wow, that's really cool. I love that, you know, because initially we were just, everything was random. So it was really exciting to start seeing how we could manipulate the code to create different kind of shapes and sometimes reflecting like a mountain ridge or, or a cityscape like Gondor or something. You know? So I'll let Rich talk a bit about that too. Yeah. So yeah, as Rich said, I, I was actually, I was just bringing up some, some conversations we'd had, which uh, yeah, in hindsight, we'd like absolutely kind of gibberish. Um, and this is particularly in um, relation to kind of us looking um, at the locations, which sometimes are kind of tied to the alignment. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got <laughs> uh, either W or X should be included with most. Then if neither K or N include one set from Z, but V goes best with W and X goes best with Y. <laughs> so <laughs> we've got this huge uh, kind of array of kind of different cubes um, that we've built out. And what we actually start to do is to sort of almost build out kind of sort of like a small kind of like you know, kind of families of cubes. So when we then came to look at doing things like the location, we then start to kind of pull in kind of like sometimes one of those groups, sometimes two, sometimes three. Um, and in the case of the alignment, what you'll see is if you if you go onto the reflection, there's only actually um, a couple of the locations that use this um, because it's quite a strong effect. So if you've got the reflection on there, it tends to sort of dominate the kind of your kind of instant um, sort of visual um, sort of, you know, recognition of the piece. So we have um, sort of basically kind of three variants. So you've got a kind of a, a valley, so where kind of the reflection is uh, about the um, the midpoint kind of vertically, but then everything's kind of sloping in. And then on the right-hand side there, you've got the opposite where you've got this kind of reflection, everything kind of comes up. So you're kind of always looking at like this kind of like sort of pitched kind of mountainside. Uh, and then uh, in the middle, you've got this kind of mirrored one. So that, that actually kind of came in quite late um and uh, as happened quite often like what, what of us would have like an idea and we basically have to pitch it to each other to kind of go hey here's my idea so it's too strange you know i love it because i've had the idea but is it too weird so i think that that mirroring was kind of one that i i think when i first pitched it to, to rick he was like i'm not sure and then i think it kind of grew on him and I, maybe like wine or a mold i'm not sure but it kind of like uh it, it kind of made it in there um and then yeah so within the alignment you then got random which Kind of does you know, does what it says on the tin so at that point what we're saying is kind of each of the kind of the, the cubes um could be basically pointing kind of you know, left or right um and um the way that's done just from a kind of math point of view it literally just kind of mirrors effectively um around like the, the midpoint of the cube uh, and then within the fixed one in that scenario you've then got kind of all of them being perfectly aligned so that's where you get this kind of lovely kind of sweeping sort of mountainside um and i remember actually when we first started playing with that, how we were kind of just like struck by kind of going, wow, okay, right, that that mountain kind of village vibe that we wanted, you know, here it was sort of, you know, jumping out at us. Yeah, this is, this is super cool. And, you know, for everybody who is watching or listening, you can tell the fix because all the stairs are going in the same direction. So it's, it's relatively easy to see. And I got to, I, I love the, this reflection one, Rich, and I love how some of them are mirrored in the middle. Uh, you know, th this is essentially a hidden feature, which we as collectors love because there are three variants of the reflection. 
And uh, just as a little Easter egg, do you happen to know which is the most rare, whether the, the valley, the mountain, or the mirror, as I you call them? Think, I think in theory, the switchback uh, kind of to where it's kind of like uh, horizontally cut should be the rarest if you know, if random number generators have done their thing. So this is this is something me and Rick often chatting about is that you, you, you can set how rare you want things to be, but with only 343, you are rolling a lot of dice. Um, but yeah, so in, in theory, at least that kind of switchback uh, I think would be the um, the rarest. Um, we toyed a lot. We spent a lot of time agonizing over like relative rarity because there's there's sometimes a trap you can fall into where you kind of you make the coolest outputs the rarest, and you're like, if you've got stuff that's really good, really cool, make that the center of the collection. Don't put it at the outside because you then have these kind of super hyper grails that you know there's only two or three of, and then everyone else is left kind of looking up, going, oh, I want one of them. So we, we tried to balance that so that the rare stuff felt that it belonged with the collection. And it's always going to have a bit more value because people like rare things, but it wasn't a kind of like, wow, these are so much better than everything else. Why did you even bother to do the rest? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tough balance as an artist. I, you know, as a collector, you know, you love to have one of those pieces, but then when you don't have it, you're like, damn, I want one. It, it reminds me of like Bauhaus by... Uh, thomas lynn peterson on screens like it's one of the most popular palettes but yet it carries one of the largest premiums because it's just so good the way it came together so i think you guys did a, a really good job um balancing this and then yeah i think i think what sorry i think what's quite interesting is is you don't you don't know what's going to be what everyone's going to want either you just don't know so you could think that oh this is this should be rare or this should be what everyone wants and then you you know you launch it in a completely different scenario. I mean, when we talk about scale, I was quite surprised that the the ones which people started paying a premium for and jumping over each other for. So you know, it's always a shock. You can't you can't really guess these things. That's a good point, right? You got to let the market speak, um, and then you just got to put out your best art. The, I have to say though, the the fixed alignment is it reminds me almost of the the archetypes that have like that very predictable and repeatable pattern. So when you look at it, it just looks uh, like familiar over and over again. So I'm definitely drawn to the fixed from the alignment, but whereas the alignment's a little bit more obvious, can you tell me a little bit more about the the climate? I'm, I'm not as uh, I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on that. Well, um, yeah. Okay. So um, when we, we started building out without any water and then you know we started making the water work and um and then we had to sort of deliberate about how you know how many how much should have water or should any not have water you know because the water is such an amazing feature um do you want to include it in all of them um but in the end we sort of tried to get the balance right and um so tropical basically means there's a lot of water paths uh temperate is kind of hitting in the middle and then dry is where there's no uh water there's no water channels at all i i feel like i should have been able to figure that one out but now it makes perfect sense i know i feel like a it. dunce cap it should be put on me all of a sudden but congrats <laughs> so i mean that it does also scale a bit so the idea is that on the larger outputs you kind of will naturally get kind of like more water so that it doesn't kind of just feel a bit kind of barren and sad. Um, there is, uh, within the dry, there's quite a cool output. So if you're looking for kind of like, just like hidden, hidden kind of grails, um, there's one in there with the CMYK palette. So it's the only output 
um, that basically has no kind of color effectively. It's just this pure mono output. And so when, when we were actually, yeah, there you go. When we were running test outputs, um, when we first kind of got those, like, ah, oh, is this going to feel bad? Cause like the whole point of CMYK is it's got the ink. And I was like, actually, no, I love that. It just got this just complete purity um, about it. So it was really cool to have literally just one of those come up. That, that's kind of the, the ideal. <laughs> really. Yeah, that one made my top three favorites. I, it's one of my favorite palettes in the group. And then just the fact that like that prominence of the, the colors uh, for the water. And then you have a dry version of it. I, it was just, it, it, it's so, uh, it pops differently. And it's just, it's so counterintuitive to the way uh, I think the, the palette was intended. It just, it, it's definitely one of my favorites in the collection. It's cool that you pointed that out. It, it, and I got to say, like, I just... There's something about this collection. I mean, when I look at this output, it's like, I want to live there. And I know that sounds weird, but it just seems like it would be such a cool place, you know, wake up every morning in my purple mountain. And I, yeah, I don't know. It's it just, there's something about it that really draws me in. And sorry, I know that was a completely random comment, but I, I wanted to express that too, because I, I thought you guys would uh, appreciate it. No, I, th I, I mean, I kind of get, I think it's, they'd be quite trippy places to live, but, um, you know, what the, the, the lights, um, I really love the lights, the night ones with the electric lights, because they do really feel like someone's home and they have a bit of life to them. You know, obviously the water animating brings life to it, but the little lights as well makes you feel like there's people living there and you wonder who they are. Yeah, I initially was thinking hobbits and uh, for some reason it, it, it brings up a lot of these ideas too, but Let's talk about location because you all picked, first of all, the names of these are really interesting and unique. I don't even, I don't, I don't know if Granada is the only one I recognize here, to be honest. I don't know how many of these are, are made up places, but uh, how do, do those like create a visual variance here? Or is that more of like a metadata trait that doesn't show up visually? Would love to hear you talk through this. Yeah, Rich, do you want to talk about the grouping side of it? And I'll talk about the origin of the names, if you like. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, so when we were talking about how we um, kind of made these kind of like sort of little families of kind of cubes and then started kind of pairing or in some cases three or four or five sets of um, those families, the location is actually what drives that. So uh, if, for example, um, I, I was going to pick my favourite one, but I won't because that one's actually slightly different. Uh, if, if, for example... Um, you pick out, uh, say, Camaras. Um, so just to add a few more. Um, so I, I, this is really one of my favorites because this is actually harks back to some of the earliest um, kind of work that we were doing on this. So it's literally just got slopes, stairs. It's got, you know, some kind of windows and doors. But the whole feel is actually kind of sort of like fairly kind of clean and minimal. Um, you still get some of the clusters and the occasional kind of little tower in there. Um, whereas if you hop in to, say, um, Travellers, uh, which is up towards the top, uh, third one down there. Uh, and in this one, so in this case, the location is what's actually then driving that um, reflection as well. So in this, you get the kind of reflection, but then you get um, a different type of um, door and window. So in this case, we've kind of got the kind of like recessed. So you really get that sense of like kind of like sinking and disappearing into the mountainside. Um, so that's what the location actually kind of you know, under the hood in terms of kind of like what it means from a code perspective and um, that's how we actually kind of made use of all these different kind of cubes that we'd um, built out and yeah i should mention me there's probably 20 30 kind of different cube designs that kind of didn't make the cut 
in the end at some point we should probably do like a fun just like you know sort of just sort of ricking myself just like you know pull up all of these things that we ditched out and just do like a kind of like rambly kind of segue through um all the things we tried um, that would be really cool if you were able to like share with the community stuff that maybe got trashed oh, we've got uh, there's so much there's so uh, i think at one point we had a we have about 100 pallets rick and then i was like right we need to start pairing this down and we we <laughs> We basically lived in Google Sheets for about three weeks, just like rating each of the pallets individually and then having like a, right, okay, what, what do our other halves think? If we couldn't decide, okay, right, cool, I'll ask, I'll ask Amy and what she think. And, uh, so we, we agonized over those pallets for so long and probably like four or five sprints of trying to do it. So we didn't just go, right, we're done. We'd come back around. Um, there's some really fun ones. Rick had a, a really cool idea. Um, at one point, we had these kind of uh, pumps, and so they kind of move up and down. Um, and he had the idea of doing like a Nez palette. So we actually made the pumps red and a bit shorter. Uh, and then the rest of the uh, output was gray. So it looked like little kind of controller buttons moving up and down. So we, there was a lot of like weird, fun stuff we tried. And then as it went on, we're like, oh, it's going to feel like we're trying a bit too hard to be kind of cool rather than actually making a kind of cohesive kind of collection. But it'd be great fun to kind of share some of that stuff. I'm just saying, if you need me to sign an NDA, I'll, I'll preview anything you need. I'm here. I'm here to support you. <laughs> okay. Um, cool, Rich. Do you want to, you want to take over like the the names and um, you, maybe maybe Hoothcar as well, which is one of my favourites, just as to where that comes from. Oh yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, the idea of a secure really, if you if you travel, I've done quite a lot of travelling in um, Portugal, France, and Spain, but in Spain. Um, they have all these complex water systems and water channels that irrigate because um, it's very arid in parts. They have all these water systems that bring water to individual farmers and individual fields at times. And they have these really complex ways in which the community organizes it. So everyone gets their fair share and everyone gets a certain time when they get their water. And I was just absolutely mesmerized by these. And they're beautiful. They, you know, they, they open up the sluice gates. And, and in fact, we we thought about having sluice gates um, we, we ditched that in the end but um you know and it just brings life to the land and you hear the water and you see it flowing through all these open channels it is fascinating and that's the kind of idea behind the project so we just felt it made sense to choose spanish towns and villages um for the different uh, locations um and to be honest with you i got a bit anal about this and uh i was looking at all of the the towns and the villages a lot of these i've visited and and trying to sort of match themes or ideas behind them with the names you know and um the interesting thing was that um how do you pronounce it is it who 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 or something like that uh, yeah, um, i think Hoothcar. i could be butchering it so this could be yeah. this could be an asequia asequia thing all over again yeah um. yeah well but that was um a village in spain that they filmed the smurf movie in and all the houses were painted blue for the movie. And, and so, and then they just kept it because it became a tourist attraction. And so we felt, well, this, we did uh, this one is specifically for the blueprint output and it's all blue. So, you know, it's just crazy rational reasons behind everything that no one's ever going to know unless they listen to this. <laughs> That's awesome. I, having done business and traveled in Spain a lot, I can honestly say I don't recognize a lot of the names, but now I'm going to have to go look at a map real quick. So thank you for sharing. And I'm sure all of our Spanish listenership is going to have an even further tie to 
to the project. This is pretty cool. And I'm not even going to try to do the names because I'm, I'm horrible at English. I can't even try to, to go into my Spanish. The, the next trait is outline. This one seems fairly uh, straightforward. Is there a very logical uh, flow to this one? Maybe, uh, Rick, you can address that since you're kind of captain of the aesthetics. Well, it's interesting. I mean, Rich came up with a lot of crazy ideas, and I was I'm because I'm so used to working, you know, without the generative side. I'm quite particular about how everything is, and I take a little while to kind of. He was always sort of trying to convince me of this and that, and sort of bend my arm. And uh, he felt there really needed something else, and he he, he sort of experimented with it. And I, I took a long time to come around to it, but it's been really popular just uh, changing the the outline. So I think we originally had, um, well, I'm talking about the inverted one. So we didn't have that originally and he came up with that. Uh, but we had different thicknesses because we just felt it, it, it gave a slightly different aesthetic to, to the outputs, uh, you know, thin or bold. Um, and then the inverted ones kind of changed the output altogether. So... Yeah, that one was uh, one of Rich's many crazy ideas. That one made it. Yes, victory. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, yeah. But I think so. I, I hope maybe it'd be an interesting kind of like heart back to one of the things that um, we kind of adopted. I think about halfway through um, was you'll notice something like nearly all of the palettes. Um, the outline is the same color as like the darkest face uh, of the cubes. And so initially we didn't actually have that. And what we found is by putting that in, it really kind of like pulled you into the piece and really kind of accentuated the um, sort of you know, the, the depth of it. Um, and so by mixing up the outline, it just kind of changed that feel quite a lot. We we did at one point we had I think we called it like I think I, I kept referring to like chunky lines. So you know we dialed them up even more, uh, almost to kind of sort of miniscape kind of levels. Um, but at the higher scales, that didn't really work. Um, and we actually had a couple of goes where I tried to convince Rick we could do some without an outline at all. Um, and that ended up being quite trippy at times. So it kind of it, it lost a bit of the sense of place and became just kind of pure geometry, um, which every now and then worked and then other times didn't. But um, I, I really like the, the inverted as some of my kind of favorites, um, just because I, I think it's quite fascinating how, uh, in this case, all we're doing is saying, right, don't use the darkest face of the outline we're just grabbing one of the other colors uh, and i think it's just quite fascinating um yeah how it just really changes your kind of perception of um the piece by kind of breaking up the cubes more um so it, it just felt that it kind of set within it without you know i think that's one of the key things like rick's work is so kind of subtle in terms of some of the details and i didn't want to kind of have stuff in here where i kind of thought right we're blowing the normal aesthetic so far out of the water just for the sake of you know going hey look at what we could do um but still allowing ourselves that a bit of variation and kind of you know exploration um that kind of felt like you know it's still kind of lived within the, the project oh these are I, I love these inverted ones too rich and it, it's really interesting how something like the outline which you know it, it's, it takes up a small amount of pixel space let's call it on the image but it makes a big difference when you look at things and you know jared talked about screens before it, it, it yeah i'm sorry go ahead 
Yeah, there's, I think one of the things, and Rich can probably speak better uh, than uh, me on this, is that we found most interesting was um, that dark face color. We could change that just ever so slightly, kind of shifting that a bit towards brown or a bit towards blue, and it throws out all the other colors. You'd look at them side by side, and you would swear that the other colors were different. Um, and so, yeah, Rick in particular spent a lot of time. We, we uh, I called it, he, he had like this kind of sort of palette pyramid. So he had like a sort of like a test sort of set of cubes that he would kind of use for kind of designing out these palettes. And uh, unfortunately, only really late on, but really, really late, pretty in like a few weeks out, um, I made a little kind of P5GS thing where I could actually pick the colors and it would update basically a version of Rick's pyramid palette thing. And I was like, oh man, I should have done this like two weeks in because <laughs> it made our lives way easier. Um, but I think that that was one of the parts I found most fascinating was yeah that that outline and that kind of that kind of base shadow color how just changing that ever so slightly um, could really kind of just yeah, warm something up you know throw it out um, yeah and I think it's something actually in particular within FX hashes that people maybe overlook the importance of palettes. Um, I think sometimes you kind of, you know, you tend to see a lot of the same palette. You kind of recognize and go, I can, I can see which website these have kind of come from. Um, and they're great sometimes as a starting point, but I think I'd really encourage people to try and seek that kind of inspiration elsewhere. Um, for a long time, anytime I went shopping with my wife and daughter, I was just taking photos of everything that I could, you know, billboards, toys, anything looking, you know, go, go back and try that, um, you know, at home and kind of, you know, see, see what works. I'll have to send you some pictures. I I have a dream of being an a generative artist one day, and I anytime my kids are playing with Play-Doh and they just have these like ridiculous colors come together, I'm like, oh my god, that's beautiful, and I'll take a picture. <laughs> Love it. Love it. For sure. And I, you know, I just want to really quickly point out because I hadn't even noticed this until we we're doing this, like some of the detail here in the cubes, right? And and I know this is probably some of the the cities that you talked about, but how these cubes have this patterning on the top. And then down here, we have a different patterning on the top of, of some of these cubes. So uh, I was just noticing that. So I thought I'd point that out. And Rick, were you about to say something? Uh, well, no, just that, I mean, the color, you know, I think Rich lost his mind on vector maths and water paths. And I kind of lost my mind on colors because it was, it, it was amazing how, you would just tweak it a little bit and it would start to look like another palette we've got, you know? And so you try and hit that perfect spot every time. And, you know, like, like Rich said, one change the color of one face changes the look of the whole thing. So I really did labor over the palettes and it's something I, I do sort of take a lot of pride in is, is getting the colors right. Because I think it's important, really important aspect of any, any piece of art um, is, you know, you don't want it clashing or, you you got to get it just right. So yeah, I we we spent a lot of time talking about color. Well, I I will tell you, my friend, you nailed it, and that's a great transition to the next category, which is palette. And I thought perhaps uh, you could talk about your process of narrowing it down. I mean, you you have so many, so it's a little bit hard for me to imagine how many there were to begin with, and they're all beautiful. Like I, I really, I'm not just saying this, but I, I love the variety here. And then some of these are so cool. Like this graphite one is unreal and really creative. You have the blueprint one. And then, you know, this one here, uh, where is a monitor, which is kind of unique, but so cyberpunk. And I say unique because, you know, we've seen blueprint palettes before, uh, but I've never seen a palette like this. And, and you guys obviously nailed the blueprint as well. 
And perhaps, yeah, maybe you could talk about how you narrow those palettes and maybe we could go around the horn, myself and Jared included, and just point out a couple palettes that we like for people watching. Let's challenge them. We got to pick your favorite kid. You can only pick one. That we did have easily a hundred, I think, at one point. And Rich was even having a go and uh, you know, his partner was suggesting some too, and we had so many in the mix. And we we would go through a process of removing the ones that really didn't work. We we had uh, folders where we put ones that we loved, ones that were iffy, and ones that should go. And we just whittled it down and whittled it down. And I remember when we had about a hundred, Richard. I really think we should get it down to about. 20 or 30 and I, I nearly fell off my chair I was like really it's like saying goodbye to all these palettes that you know you feel like you've labored over and perfected but um we managed it in the end I'm not sure how many there are in total now uh I've forgotten but yeah we we it was quite a task whittling them down and then of course sorry and then of course and then of course it's the naming as well naming the palettes that was <laughs> another thing but yeah, you sorry, did you say my favorites? Yeah, what what what's your favorite? If you can pick yeah. if you really can't, we'll give you two. I'll give you the out. It's that is really tricky. I've had to think about it. I mean, I'm I'm really happy with some of the quirky uh themed ones like CMYK. It was instantly massively popular with people. Um, and I just thought those those bright bold colored water coming out it's just really fun um so I'm, I'm really proud of that one and that one has become something people really wanted um i love the night palettes i love the electric lights so uh i'm i'm quite a big fan of uh slate actually and this is where me and rich we did not argue it was never a crossword but we we kind of fought it out to keep some that we might have created or that we were more um we favored so slate managed to stand the test of time from the beginning and i just love the sort of atmospheric kind of dark mood of it with the with the lights that really pop so that's a personal favorite of mine um and I do really like graphite as well. I love the way it um, it kind of stands out. You've got monitor, which is a similar sort of, you know, monotone almost. But um, I love this. It almost feels like uh, the original design or the original drawings for it. And it's just stripped right back, but it still works. So, yeah, those are probably my favorites. Yeah, that's beautiful. Rich, which one's... Uh... Which ones would you call out? So probably a sentimental kind of the early favorite would be Twilight. And the reason for that is it's actually one of the kind of palettes we had super early on. Uh, and actually um, it lived as like my phone background for probably about like three months. So every time I picked up my phone, I'd kind of get, you know, this little kind of like smile of like, we're making something really cool. Cause uh, three months in, I still enjoyed looking at it. If I was just going to pick one, I'd probably pick Apollo. And the, the reason for that is, again, a sentimental one. Um, a friend of mine, Ken uh, Consumer, who runs the Arbitrarily Deterministic podcast, um, completely unbeknownst to him, he'd sent me uh, a piece of art that he'd done himself. Um, so he said, send it by post, which is always a bit fraught in terms of things getting here. And when it arrived, it was actually like a slightly uh, kind of isometric kind of cube-based piece. And he had no idea that Rick and I were working on a setter at this point in time. 
Uh, so I actually did a tweet about this when I finally got my hands on a, a Secchi of my own. Um, and I actually color picked from the piece that he sent and used that as the inspiration for Apollo. So um, I think that palette will always, yeah, be a, a really it just, it was just such a serendipity that I opened it and I just like, took it through to my wife and both just like laughing about how crazy it was that he, yeah, with no background, no idea, had sent this piece that, you know, almost looked like it could be you know, sort of a secular kind of 0.0.1 kind of thing in terms of the evolution of the project. That's awesome. I, I just love teasing out these stories on how things came to be. And, and I just love the personal connections uh, along the way. It, it makes me smile from ear to ear. Uh, if I had to pick one, it's CMYK. I have to ask you, what does CMYK stand for? Just out of curiosity. So that's the, the basic printing colors, uh, cyan, magenta, yellow, black. But black is K for some reason. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of graphic design nerd stuff. And, I mean, we we had uh, quite a few other things. We had RGB in there as well, but that didn't manage to make it to the final cut. Um, and then monitor, you know, it's like an original BBC Acorn screen or something. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's CMYK. Those are the basic. And the black and the white, so... That's what you need to. It may be basic to some, but I have to say the execution on this one is like one of a kind. I think it's probably one of the crowd, why it's one of the crowd favorites. It just pops. I, I'm a sucker for graphite. So, you know, that that's the runner up for me, but the CMYK, it just, it, it hits differently. I think it pops differently from the crowd. It's, it, it's a very beautiful palette. It ridiculously well executed. Congrats. Yeah, I second that. It, it, this was actually a really hard for one for me to pick, even though I was the one springing on people. And there's so many cool ones. Like, for the example, this one, comic, comic book, I wanted to highlight it because, you know, the tops are different than the sides of the walls, and that feels, like, fairly unique. Um, but the one that really jumped out to me was Oro Druin. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but... I'm just, you know, it, it's lava, right? I mean, it, at least in my mind, you have lava flowing and that takes it to kind of like this fantasy level. Now I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings or, or something like that. And I just really enjoy that. And, you know, I got to say for both of you, that the way that you made the fluid change color so it wasn't always water and kept it in theme was was brilliant. I mean, I know it seems like a small thing, but it really resonated with me. And so that's why I wanted to point out that palette. And my my backup is also the Twilight. I, I'll admit, Rick, I, I remember you noting in the Grailer Discord that you like, sorry, Rich, that you like the, uh, the Twilight palette. And I just love blue. And you somehow created such, Rick, you created fantastic variety in the colors and the shading, all with what are probably blues that are really similar to each other. And then the orange light is just the cherry on the cake. The blue and the orange mix is, uh, I think, fantastically executed here. So had to highlight that one because I love both of them a lot. Let, let's talk about size. I mean, this one is fairly obvious to, to most people sorting through here. Um, maybe you guys could talk about how you thought about sizes and uh, if, if you have personal favorites within this yeah, cool uh, I'll, I'll have a first crack so we we actually again kind of explored uh, quite far outside even the bounds of kind of where we ended so um there's actually uh, i think i posted on twitter a, a print that i did of one that was kind of even 
uh, sort of micro goes to I think like sort of twenty or so kind of pixels across. There was one that we did that I think was about thirty or forty, which uh, printed looks incredible on screen is just like a haze of almost pixel size kind of <laughs> cubes. Um, so I think we were super mindful of kind of going. You know, most people when they're kind of looking through the collection are going to be looking at like this. So if we went any kind of smaller in terms of individual cube size, it's just going to get lost. Um, and equally, we we initially had kind of like some that were closer um, to micro. Um, but I think as Rick kind of pointed out that the challenge was you didn't get a real kind of like kind of clear jump. So we kind of made sure to kind of keep micro really quite far removed um, from um, sort of small and compact. So there's a real noticeable difference. And then the other end with kind of Epic, we did at one point again, kind of try getting even closer. Um, but what it meant was your water path is really pretty constrained because it had nowhere really to go other than just kind of like straight and then finish. So um, it meant that some of the outputs could end up being like, you know, just basically the same, but we, we wanted to keep it in because I, I really enjoy these. I think kind of printed, I, I printed a couple of um, sort of the test outputs that kind of this scale um, and printed out like sort of 20 by 30 inches. They're just really kind of incredible sort of, you know, sort of statement pieces you can kind of hang up. Um, and yeah, we, we I think we, we agonized quite a while again on the balance of this one, but I think we kind of settled on like a fairly sort of, you know, sort of like normal sort of bell curve distribution. Um, we all for the most part kind of, I think sort of enjoyed the sort of, you know, sort of standard and sort of compact of these, these are probably the sweet spot, but wanted to kind of sort of push out a little bit from that as well. Yeah, I think for the algorithm, you had a hearing that it's bell curve, it makes a lot of sense. I think there's a really, really beautiful distribution across the uh, all the pieces. Personally, my favorite is Epic. I just love that zoomed in. Um, I might have to collect a couple here in the in the coming in the coming weeks. Um, the last trait that we had as part of the project is time of day. This one wasn't as obvious to me but kind of is obvious. So do you mind providing a little bit of uh, further clarity just for everybody's reference? Do you want to grab this one, Rick, or do you want me? <laughs> yeah. I keep talking. <laughs> no. um, so that was basically um, the difference between night and day, but also between the, the side that the shadow fell on the cube. So if you flip between them, you'll notice that it flips. If I'm right in saying that, am I rich? Yeah, that's right. And it's it is deliberately we put it in thinking it'd be quite fun to see if people actually noticed. Um just quite a few people I, I think kind of haven't. So the we've got yeah, sort of like dusk and dawn are the sort of like, you know, the sort of the night kind of twilight kind of time. So they're the, they're the dark ones. And then morning afternoon, uh, if you flip between them, what you'll actually notice, um now we pointed it out, uh is <laughs> is that um, the dark side kind of switches. So the idea is that the light kind of is being cast from like, you know, kind of like east to west and then west to east, um, depending on uh, what time of day you're on. Um, and again, just quite a nice, interesting that the, the idea I think we had there is that people could then potentially kind of like pair them up. So you could then have like you know, the same palette and have a morning and afternoon uh, kind of piece side by side. And you would then get this kind of sort of sense of, um, you know, that sort of shift um, between them. So, um, Got it. And it looks like you, you kept them consistent too, right? So twilight, there are no twilights yeah. in the morning or afternoon. Yeah, so that's it. So it kind of gives you kind of, I suppose, like, you know, sort of buy one, get one free in terms of a trait that you kind of get, where's the light coming from? And then also, is it going to be yeah, one of like the, you know, the night palettes or one of the, the daytime palettes? Um, 
And on the Night Palace side, pretty much just for a bit of fun, we did for quite a while have um, some palettes with kind of multiple coloured lights as well. So we had, uh, it was in neon and then like circus, we had all these kind of ones for like all different kind of coloured lights. Um, so I think the I think the only one we kept that's got that is uh, Orange Ruin. I think the lights in Orange Ruin are slightly um, different. So if you actually kind of look your notes that you get actually like a sort of slightly darker orange and then it's a couple of sort of like mid uh, oranges as well. So I think it's, I think I'm right in saying that's the only one that's got those different coloured lights in, Avery. That's a, that one is a nod to both me and Rich are slightly Lord of the Rings nerds. So it was originally called Mount Doom, and then he came out with this name. What was it, Rich? It was. Uh... Uh, it's actually. It's. Uh, if you go, I'm going to look like even more of a nerd. It's actually the Sindarin name for Mount Doom. So it's it's still a Lord of the Rings reference, but it just sounded cooler than it sounded cooler than Mount Doom until you explain it, and then it doesn't sound cooler at all. <laughs> Come on, Rich is from New Zealand. He's got to love Lord of the Rings. Well, hey, I love it. That's perfect excuse. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel I feel vindicated because I did say Lord of the Rings with this one, and yeah, I, I, that's amazing. I love it. I love that you guys did that. Uh, that's so cool, and I love how there's different lights in here. I was trying to figure out like are the lights in the path of the the lava the ones that are more orange, but it doesn't look like it. Uh, either way, I, I love that you guys put that little Easter egg in here. Honestly, it's so fun. And maybe we can transition over now to the the three that you wanted to highlight. And I didn't want to say your favorite three because, as we talked about earlier, I feel like it's unfair to ask you to pick out favorites of, of all of your uh, children here, at least if you think of them that way. But yeah, were there, uh, what three would you like to highlight? And maybe you could tell us why you chose them. And, and perhaps, Rich, we could go with you first and then Rick. Yeah, of course. Um, we, I kind of, I got three and then had two bonus ones. So we, we touched, actually, one of the bonus ones was the 150, which is the uh, CMYK with no water. Um, and I just, I, it was just so perfect that there was only one because when me and Rick were kind of chatting, I was like, I'd love it if we got, you know, one or two of these would be so cool just because they, they just hit different. Um, uh, there's also my own, so my own child, 41. Um, so, and again, because it's an Apollo, so that, that for me is kind of just quite a special one. Um, so um, yeah, that, that's pretty more of a, a pick for myself. Um, in terms of kind of, I suppose, what I think are the kind of quote unquote kind of best, um, 165, um, which is a CMYK, because I, I I think as Jared mentioned, CMYK for me does hit different. I, I when Rick kind of suggested this kind of idea of kind of going, hey, why don't we kind of do something that are kind of tied like you know the sort of like the print thing? I was like, that is just genius. That is such a cool idea and such a an organic way for us to kind of explore different coloured water without it just feeling like we've just shoehorned it in for, for no reason. Um and that one for me, just with those kind of like the sloping sides, is yeah, probably yeah, just one of my favorite kind of CMYKs. Um 274, which is uh, a micro parchment. So it's the um, only uh, micro parchment um, owned by Ida there. I, I suppose if I, if I kind of think what's the kind of like the um, sort of heart in terms of kind of like the collection of just kind of summing up kind of what we were maybe setting out to do early on, I think that maybe kind of captures it. It's just understated. Um, it's got a real sense of kind of being alive with kind of all this water kind of coming through. Uh, and I do like the high scale ones. I think when they're, when they're printed, they're great fun for people to kind of, you know, almost like dive in and 
it's a bit like kind of where's Wally or where's Waldo, depending on where you are. You kind of almost want them expecting someone to poke their head out of you know, one of the windows and say hi to you. Uh, and then rounding out would be uh, 285, um, which is uh, Twilight uh, palette. And again, for me, just because it just harks back to kind of, I think when we first had this palette, it was it's probably sometimes in a project, you kind of get an output early on, you go, yeah, this if we if we nail what we're setting out to do, this is going to be really special. And I think Twilight, um, one of those outputs for me is yeah, one of the first, uh, I was like, yeah, okay, if we can do this justice, and see it out, um, knew that we were kind of yeah, onto something kind of pretty special. So that those would be my three picks. Beautiful. And uh, I, I love that. Thank you for explaining that. These are amazing picks. Rick, which ones did you have? Um, so I particularly like um, 177. I don't know if Rich could pull that up. Um, and what I love about it is the, you know, it's the, it's the generative aspect. You know, this is by chance, this has happened that, it's all water above and it's kind of leading down to a little settlement with all the lights on. It almost feels like uh, it was intentional, you know, like the lights are powering, you know, being powered by the water movement or something. And for me, that was just a real little gem that uh, really feels like it's come to life. So I particularly like that one and the chance of that happening. I mean, I think there's only one like that. And then funnily enough, uh, next to that, um is 178 and I, I just really like that scale it really gives you a sense of uh of what goes into them and you know i mean i i think for print like rich said that the ones that are really zoomed out they're amazing and you could just stare at it for ages but i i quite like these real close-ups too they've got a sort of a lot of sort of contrast strength to them um and then lastly i try and remember which one it was it was um uh, two four six. So, if Rich can find that, that's down in the corner there. So, I just love how by chance something so simple has happened there. And I think this—that's for me—is it's a great joy for me to kind of enter into generative art and you know experience it with Rich because. You know, a lot of it is outside of your control. You can create some parameters, but you never know what the results will be. And I just, I like these little quirky ones that that just by chance happen. And that's just simplicity in that I love. Yeah, these these are fantastic too. And uh, I, you know, it's funny how we key on the extremes with the ones that are zoomed in really closely, and then the ones that are further out. And just before Jared, you jump to yours. I want to just point out to people viewing this is number 178 that rick had just pointed out and zoom in like look at the detail in the shadowing right you can see how here clearly the sun is coming from uh the left side here and you can see how the the shadows were created so uh you know bravo on those details i just wanted to interject there yeah so like how you can see like the bend of the water like the edge show through faintly like it's pretty pretty amazing when you start to like get into the zoom um let's see here uh the cmyk with no drip 150 it's been mentioned a ton of times that that was one of my top three i just think it's it's one of those that um you know we, we're always about like the generative work that's uh, unintended outputs or those rare outputs the you know the god mode fidenza the 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 goose ringer this one just is reminiscent of it it's it, it's so brilliant because it lacks something that is supposed to be so distinctive in that palette. And it just, 
I don't know. The more I, I went through the collection, I just keep, I kept coming back to it. Um, the Oridian, I, I really, really wanted to put in there, so, but I, that, that was like in my top four. So I, I ended up not doing it, but so I'll go with my number two choice was number 86. Uh, it's actually, I love the graphite palette as mentioned earlier, our uh, friend of the podcast DeFi owns this one and this one just uh, the way it almost like the transparency of the the i'll call it the black water flow felt uh somewhat i'll call it familiar in, in somewhat of a, a distant fact i mean literally today i just posted about how my you know i'm enamored with my graphite anti-cyclone and there's something about it that the graphite palettes just to me bring me back to a hand sketch it, like I really connect or I feel like I have a, I feel like I have a connection with the artist. Uh, when I, anytime I see this graphite palette, I could, I could really envision one of you two sketching this thing out or, you know, dreaming it up and putting it on a plotter. I mean, there's just something so brilliant about this. Um, and conversely on the other end of the spectrum is 125. It's one of five blueprints. And for me, being an engineer, I just love the blueprint. Like it, it again, the transparency of it, it felt like, uh, you know, there was some, you know, engineer with his pocket protector and, uh, you know, TI 83 calculator, just jamming away on this thing, figuring it out. And the way this one came together, uh, especially the water flow in particular had a deep resonance with me. Another one of my favorite FX hash job or jobs, uh, projects is, is Tesseract. And the way the water flowed on this one in particular was reminiscent of it. And it just kind of felt like uh, there was a natural, I'll call it cadence to it. And I almost felt like I, one of these could be like a little hot tub and I was going to be sitting in it just chilling, you know? I just wanted to say as well that um, aside from picking out favorites, the, the, the trait that I love the most and I've always had such pleasure with is um, the pools. If you watch the pools animated, it's just... It's so nice to watch. Rich did such an amazing job with the vector map. Hello. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually was just noticing that as well, how some of them have pools. Uh, here's here's a great example of one right here, how the, the water pools over here. Yeah, uh, I've had so many questions, but let me let me go with my, my three real quick just for the sake of time. So the three that I picked out was firstly number 141. I just, I, I love the twilight palette and I love the symmetry of this one. This is one of the reflections and just, yeah, I mean, I, I just was scrolling through the twilights because I knew I had to pick one of those. I just, it just hits for me perfectly. And then the next one that I wanted to point out is number 275. So this, again, is a, is a reflection, but th this one is really unique. Not only is it a reflection, but it is the uh, Oradruin palette, and then it is a bold inverted. So it's quite rare. Uh, I know we don't really look at rarities that much, but you're, you're not going to see, maybe it's the only one of that. I, I didn't look through everything, but I was looking through the bold inverted because I love that, and this one struck my eye more than the rest of them. And the last one that I picked was a, a monitor, number 152. I just, you know, I said it before, but I love this palette. I think it's uh, fantastic. And uh, apologies for the dog screaming in the background, but uh, we'll, uh, let's, let's transition it over to kind of like our favorite game here, which is 
you know, you, you have uh, a certain amount of fake money and you can buy whichever ones you want off of the floor. In this case, uh, we are going to go with 10,000 Tezos. Or sorry, you don't have to buy it off the floor. You can buy whatever you want. But you have 10,000 Tezos. What would you buy with that? And uh, maybe we can do it similarly. We'll go Rich and then Rick. Uh, and then and then Jared and I can go. So yeah, fake money, no um, consequences. Don't have to tell your partner. Yeah, that's it. the that's that's the best kind of money. <laughs> no no explanations needed. Um, I, if you're a numbers nerd, uh, I think I think someone's actually put up uh, the first mint number one for exactly ten thousand tests. So uh, if if you like kind of having the first uh, ten thousand tests and done, um, so <laughs> that's that four edge approach. And again, it. It's a super cool output as well. I, you know, parchment to me is just one of those really nice, just kind of such a pure feel about it. Um, if you don't just want to throw it all in a one, I would start actually with it. I think the piece is actually right on the floor at the moment, uh, one thirty. So, um, and again, it's just lovely Apollo. Um, I've already kind of mentioned I have a, a real soft spot for that um, palette anyway. Uh, it's also got uh, there's a little kind of uh, sort of hidden trait as such. So some of the um, outputs um what will actually happen is when the water is kind of in one of like the straight kind of carriers it will always use the same type of kind of carrier all the way down that water flow so you'll see in this one it's uh, always got the kind of stepped edges um where it's kind of dropping down on the sort of like a running kind of slope so um it's got that little secret in there as well uh i would grab 186 um just because I think if you're building out a kind of a collection, it would be uh, a, a real shame. So one X six is four thousand tes. Sorry if that helps helps track it down. Um, uh, there you go. So that's a CMYK on the far left there. Because I, I I think you're building out a collection. You, you want a CMYK? They just there's just something just awesome about them. Um, and then I've got one eight seven, which is just directly above that as well. Um, and again, just I love the, the the reflected kind of sort of like mountainside for me is probably my kind of favorite of the reflections. Uh, I don't and know again, I've I seen this in a lot of them, but that has like a split uh, waterfall edge. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's got it's got really quite an interesting. Yeah. So the, yeah. the splitter is again that's uh, something that just has a random chance to kind of happen. So kind of when the water's kind of you know, plodding down, it just has um, yeah this chance every now and then to kind of sort of split out. So some of them will have several of those. Most of them will have none. Um, but again, yeah, I just just really like that, and just for me, the, the parchment palette just kind of, I think, ties back to kind of what we wanted. It's kind of feel like a kind of like a printed kind of like hand kind of ink done kind of piece, and I think there there's some that kind of really speak to that. So, yeah, that'd be my my three to spend my imaginary ten thousand tes on. Fantastic. And uh, Rick, how would you irresponsibly spend your fake money? Yeah, um, I'm quite good at spending fake money. Um, so I found this a real challenge, actually. Um, I only own one, and I picked it up off the floor when they were about 250 tes. We didn't even keep any reserves for ourselves. I kind of kicked myself about it still. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I would be so happy with any and just add to my collection. But um, I did, like, like Rich said, I, having number one would be pretty cool, and that is, that's your whole 10K gone. Uh, otherwise, I'd seek out something with a pool or maybe two pools. If there are any with two pools, that, you can't find that as a trait, but you'd have to just spot it. Because, like I said, I just love watching the water animate through the pools and fill them up. 
Um, you've got there are some bigger pools, uh, like extra large pools somewhere. Um, so yeah, I'd probably pick out something with a pool. And uh, yeah, it's just really tricky. Favorite palette? I mean, uh, you know, I said my favorite palette is possibly slate. There's a slate with uh, which is dry with no water, and that's quite unique. Now, sorry, I can't remember the number of it, but um, that might be something I would like to pick up. It's just uh, just a dry climate. Fantastic. Well, if I see one with two pools near the floor, I will I will be reaching out to you to let oh, you know. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. What what did you pick? With your if you scroll game. down to probably the largest meme of the the area to the price of six nine six nine, this one even though it's a big chunk of our fictitious Tez, number two sixty, it's just so symmetric, and no water. It just it's dry. It feels like something beautiful. It just it, to me it's so reminiscent of an archetype in that repeatable geometry. But there's just all these like little hidden nooks along the way and almost like a, a bell tower right at the top with that window and door i, I don't know it, there's something uh beautiful about it um i know i know this is supposed to be a water oriented theme and, and going after a, a non-water one is for, for your top pick is probably sacrilegious but i don't know man the, the amount of symmetry the scale on this one just the coloring uh it's interesting that you picked that one because you know what? When I was going through uh, trying to make some decisions about about all this, I spotted that one and I'd never seen it before, and it really popped. I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting. That really stands out." So it's funny that you picked that. Yeah, I mean, it's inverted too, right? Yeah, yeah. I love the collection and just the way, like this one, just looks different to me. Like I don't know how else to say it. Like it, it just it hits differently. It's unique. And it's like, it's, it's amazing in all the right ways. And, and again, I go back to the algorithm, you know, probably wasn't intended, but the output just, it has a deep resonance with me. Um, for more fictitious tests, since I kind of blew most of it really early, I would say going up to 1700 Tez number 318 for me was um, something that I, I thought was a beautiful, you know, that the, there's a lot of darker palettes but the some of these lighter ones really pop for me and this orange palette uh, i really like the taxi one for this orange palette i felt with the the beautiful aqua water was uh something stunning and i just liked how most of the water flow kind of was contradictory to the flow the natural flow of the 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 architecture so you know at that price it, it just felt i might have to go spend ten thousand real tests tonight i'm not kidding <laughs> and, and i gotta say i i didn't even notice this before but you almost have like some stairs leading to nowhere here right you kind of have like this aqueduct and stairs so that, that's a cool little thing there as well yeah and then because i'm now even uh <laughs> have a less of a pocket I, I think i'd probably pick the one up off the floor at 130 and you know as Rich pointed out, this is actually a really beautiful piece. I know Simon says is liquidating a couple stuff for some other acquisitions, you know, according to Grailer. So I feel like this is kind of a real gem at the floor right now. So another consideration, honestly. I, I love those pieces. And I just want to highlight something for the listeners. So Jared, you, you may not have done this on purpose, but number 318 here, in addition to the first one you mentioned, is also a inverted 
I think probably a regular inverted. And what's so fun about this is you, you know, Jared and I have been doing this for a while now. You start realizing different categories and, and different themes that you enjoy in collections, not necessarily this one. And probably now Jared can go through and, and look for inverted ones specifically, whereas he might not have before. So I just, I wanted to point that out. My, my 10K Tez, so the first one that I picked was this one down here at uh, number 180, which is a monitor. You know, there is a cheaper monitor, but I like this one that was a little bit more zoomed out. And I just love the monitor. It's like, it's like the matrix to me. That's like how I, I think of it. And so that one, I thought, okay, I'd, I'd have to grab a monitor. Then scrolling down, I actually may need to call a little bit of an audible, but there's something about this one that really struck my eye, uh, number 216. So I'd spend 4,000 tes on this. Just the way that the water is flowing kind of opposite to the, the fixed direction of the rest of the structure. Just, I enjoyed that juxtaposition a lot. I don't know why. It just, it really caught my eye, that orderliness, but then the kind of going against the orderliness, which I thought was was really cool. And then, uh, you know, honestly, I think I might need to pull an audible here because originally, where is it? Originally, I, I, I really don't know between these two. These two, I, I might have to flip a coin because I do love this graphite. I think it's beautiful. I love how it has a large pool. And, and I'm going to click into that so people can see it. But then the CMYK is also just, just classic for this collection. And uh, for, for you, Rick, I want people to see the animation here. I don't, I feel like we didn't show this enough, but to see that large pool filling up, I mean, it's just so cool how you, you figured out how long it would take with the depth and all that. So anyways, uh, those are my picks jumping around a little bit, but I wanted to, uh, yeah, man, that, I mean, we're, we're running up on time here. I just wanted to ask you guys a really quick question. I'm going to unshare my screen here. So, um, folks can can see again. Uh, are you working on something again now? Are you currently have anything? What next? Uh, Isakia, uh, Asakia. Oh my God! Uh, part two, or you know what? You guys have anything up your sleeves these days? Yeah, um, we talk. So... <laughs> we both we both like. Uh, I don't. <laughs> we we, all, we always. I think we always planned once we did miniscapes. We. We, we kind of had it in our minds that we'd at least do th three, so that there is going to be a third collab, um, but we're just working on uh, personal projects at the moment, and we need to get together, and um, we've got some ideas. We've definitely got some direction, but we need to have that initial chat, and yeah, there will be a third collab. You heard it here first. That's exciting. I know that the uh, the listenership will probably start bugging you guys, but we appreciate it we love the, the the final product and it's exciting especially from the pains i have for missing this project uh to be able to have a another shot at things so this is really exciting to hear yeah well so that that's our show we really appreciate you all coming on where's the best place to send folks to find you uh, yeah, so uh, Twitter is probably the best bet side. I think I'm rich underscore underscore cool for some reason. Uh, I think the, the first underscore must have been taken. Uh, so yeah, Twitter. Otherwise, uh, yeah, as, as Jared mentioned, I tend to hang out across like quite a few Discord. So yeah, you can find me in um, yeah, Graylers, Tender, FX Hash, GM Dow, um, Gen Art, 
um, they never touch those. Or, almost kind of any anywhere where I kind of like released work, I try and make a point of being around just because uh, it's always cool just to chat to people. You know, um, people kind of you know, wanting prints, people just want to know a bit more about uh, a collection. So I, I try and be as available as possible to you know, whether it's chat to collectors, chat to other artists. Um, it's just yeah, just a nice way to kind of sort of break up your day sometimes. So it's not just you and a keyboard um, exclusively. Yeah, um, well, I I spend way too much time on Twitter. There's far too much going on and so many good people uh, to chat with. So you can find me there. Um, Rick A. Crane is my handle or The Paper Crane is my sort of company name. Um, so, yeah, you can find me there. And I just wanted to say thanks so much for having us on. It's been it's been a fantastic experience. Uh, I just beyond expectations how the project's gone. And I've met so many new people from it. Um, lots of people from sort of ETH coming over and lots of new followers and people interested in my work. And uh, I'm just very grateful to have met Rich by chance and, and worked together and it, and it worked so well together. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we say thank you, too. I mean, thank you for taking that time. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for putting all the effort into the work. I mean, I know that uh, it was probably painful at times and trying to get it just right, but you, you guys really did. And I think you're seeing a reflection of that. And so this this is just another step on that. I think the collectorship will really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and, and showcase your work and, and get to a whole nother level. I mean, I don't know about you, Jared, but now I like, I want to buy more. I'm like, okay, like, how do I, where, where do I free up some Tez now? Because uh, now that I know more about the project, I'm like, okay, there's some really cool stuff in here that I hadn't noticed before. I literally just DM'd the the owner of that one for 6969, seeing if we can do some sort of, uh, I want to negotiate an offer in advance because I think it's just so bomb. Um, not that I don't mind setting the record uh, record sale, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I'm absolutely fascinated with it. So 100, percent I'm I'm enamored with it. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I know it's late for you, Rick. Thank you for going into the wee hours of the night, Rich. Hopefully, this gave you the the jolt you needed to get a little bit of extra pep in your step in your day. Um, it, we're truly grateful for the not only the art but the time and attention that you're giving to the listenership and allowing us to have a little bit of a sneak peek into the, the genius that was, um, you know, behind this project. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, um, it's nice to be able to um, share a lot of stuff that is otherwise not really known or, you know, stayed with us and uh, it's nice to go into detail. So thanks. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much. It's, yeah, it's really nice to kind of, I think sometimes justify and explain kind of anything from small decisions to kind of big decisions. I think it, it kind of gives a nice insight into why the collection is what the collection is. Um, but yeah, but, uh, I'll hit Rick up and we'll see whether at some point we'll try and put something together to do a, a dive into some of these things that kind of got you know, left on the cutting room floor as well. <laughs> it could be quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Please let us know if we do. We'll, we'll make sure to put it out to all our followers and for everybody listening we really appreciate you thank you for tuning in we'll be back soon with more great art and great artists like rich and rick we're at collectors underscore xyz i'm at aston cloud jared is at underscore jared underscore pause and i uh, just want to note jared is also the founder of the eight nap digital asset fund so if you're interested in getting some exposure to some of this great art reach out to him and with that 
I'll say thank you to our fantastic guests. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.